0: Welcome to Every Little Voice, a podcast about community music in the city of Toronto, produced by all of us at the Regent Park School of Music. I'm Richard Marcella, the Executive Director at the school, and on the podcast today, part of our monthly series, RPSM Talks, as hosted by Thompson Egbo Egbo, So this is live, it's a live panel held on the last Thursday of every month. If you want to be part of these discussions featuring prominent leaders in Canada's music industry, they're free and open to anybody to check out. Just go to rpmusic.org slash events to RSVP for the next one. So here it comes now, another RPSM Talks as featured on the Every Little Voice podcast. Take care.
1: Of love
2: and of fear, Got out with
1: my church, I don't even
0: care who hear. Don't even care who hear. From the Regent Park School of Music in the city of Toronto, I'm your host Richard Marcella, and this is Every Little Voice and our socially distanced season three, a podcast about community music.
2: And if your little voice is so voice get together while we make a joyful noise And my little voice and your little voice it's everything we're gonna need
1: to sing and we'll say. Welcome everyone this is RPSM Talks uh, brought to you by Region Park School of Music. Region Park School of Music is a music school providing music lessons for both the Region Park and Jane and Finch communities for over 20 years by removing financial obstacles. To learn more about the school, please visit www.rpmusic.org. I am Thompson. I'm your host once again for the fourth edition. Uh, thanks for joining us. You can find me at Egbo Music um, on all the social handles. Uh, I'm there. Just, you just have to look. Uh, anyways, excited for our chat today. Um, but just to remind you, we want some housekeeping rules. Keep yourself on mute unless invited to unmute. If you have any questions, please put them in the chat. Panelists, feel free to answer questions if you feel as pertinent to the conversation. Otherwise, Charlotte will be logging questions for our Q&A closer to the end. Please respect our shared virtual space uh, by keeping the content discussed here uh, and in the chat classroom as school friendly. Best way to view the session is by putting it on speaker view, and, and you can see, do that in the top right corner. To begin, you know, necessity is the mother of all invention, and Toronto did not know how much it needed Ebony Rowe to create the Honey Jam back in 1995. This has been a launching pad for many female artists, including Nelly Furtado, Kylie Evans. Julie Black, who supported the music school and many others. Um, it has been an integral part of the commun- Canadian music scene uh, and in its 26th year. This platform would address the lack of female presentation in the music industry. And just so you know, auditions are June 8th. If you are interested or know somebody who would be a perfect fit for it. Uh, she's founded a mentorship program called Each One Teach One, uh, which roots are served in Regent Park, uh, and they match Black youth with young Black professionals. And with a passion for community building, her FemFat Entertainment Group provides opportunity for female artists of all cultures and genres. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, we also have with us Jonathan Ramos, who's currently the director of live music for Inc Entertainment and the creator of Rap Season Platform. Jonathan has been promoting music and producing concerts for over 25 years. For some of the young folk, you'll know Daniel Caesar and Cardi B as you get a little older, maybe Drake in the weekend, uh, a little older than that. It'll be J Cole and, uh, Eminem, although J Cole just dropped an album surprise. Uh, and for the really old cats, the roots and tribe called quest among others. So originally, uh, started as REMG entertainment. Uh, was the biggest rap, R&B, and reggae event buyer and promotion company in the city. Um, REMG collaborate the Honey Jam in its exception to give the Honey Jam its first stage at the legendary Lee's Palace. Uh, thanks again, uh, Jonathan, for being with us. And our last guest as well is John Justin Kwan. Justin is currently serving as the director of MRG Live, a national concert promotion company in Canada and the US. Our MRG, sorry, uh, Live is the largest independent events company in Canada and produces over a thousand shows per year across North America. Um, his career spanned over nine years. He's produced a wide range of shows featuring Joji, Jesse Reyes, Jake Collier, Lennon Stella, uh, Lily Allen, and the list goes on. Justin, I was asked to ask you whether uh, Scandal is going to be here in November, so you'll have to let me know.
3: Um, uh, um I think that's going to be, I think that's going to be tough. November. We'll see. We'll see what the government regulations are for any show in the fall. So,
1: well, hopefully, we get opening up like the rest of the world. Um, this is. I'm excited. I'm always excited about all of our talks, but uh, even more so, uh, I'm excited just because me being a performer. Um, I love the stage, and I think you know this is this is a role that is so the roles that you guys occupy that are so behind the scenes. People forget that people like you even exist. Uh, Jonathan I'm going to start with you just because you know it's you've been referred to as the godfather or the father of hip-hop in the in the city and uh, my question for you is how has hip-hop changed in this city from when you first started promoting it to where it is now?
2: Uh, firstly thank you for for the invitation and thank you for having me it's it's an honor to speak and I'm looking forward to this um, yeah I mean it's 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 evolved just like the music has so when I started doing these shows and in fact before my my this started as a as a career for me when i was going to shows it was radically different the the music was you know in its infant stages when i when i say that music it meant r&b and hip-hop and it was just developing there was there was a scene but it wasn't really sort of uh that large and it was super niche so it was you know it was it was difficult uh you know to produce shows and it was sort of for me it presented daily challenges which was you know which is something that i'm somewhat attracted to sometimes but uh it, it's it's radically different than what we know today as far as you know this ubiquitous music that is the the biggest uh, uh hip-hop where hip-hop is anyways the, the largest selling genre of its kind uh in the last probably three to four years globally so it that back then you know it was trying to book a venue for shows for for rap shows was difficult trying to get Artists into the country was difficult to do rap shows. Everything was sort of, there were challenges there to, you know, to, 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 at every level. But, uh, like I said, it, it's unfortunate that the music grew as I grew. So it, it's now for me turned into a, a, a career that, you know, that, that's helped me sort of, you know, like support my family and,
1: and, you know, evolve. Amazing, amazing. And Ebony, you've got the honey jam. And, you know, one of the things I was saying to a friend of mine the other day, if we look at the billboard, you know, top whatever hundred and just even look at the top ten, there are Canadian fingerprints all over it. And you people who have come through the Honey Jam have been Grammy nominated, um, have won Junos. Where where does that fit again? Sort of, you know. Asking sort of a similar question, but just in terms of now, how the opportunities have opened, um, where do you see the opportunities either for, you know, female artists coming out of Canada, um, the artists just in general, and what, how has that landscape changed for them? Oh, We got you on mute. Uh,
4: I think it's important for the younger people who are listening now to understand that when people like myself and Jonathan started in the early 90s, there was no social media. So imagine no YouTube, no Instagram, no Google, no Facebook, nothing. Um, And so there wasn't much of an industry and there wasn't an easy way for people to know who you were. When we would have auditions, people from outside of Toronto would be FedExing a VHS videotape to me. And probably half the people listening here don't know what that is. So um, a lot has changed um, because now anyone in the world can see what you do, can hear your music, and that has opened up so many opportunities. I mean, there, weren't even, there wasn't even really a, a big music industry, I would say, at that time, 25 years ago. A lot of people were doing things for the love. Everything was really in its infancy. Um, And there's been, I think, a 180 change. Um, We could certainly use some more uh, uh, attention and promotion and uh, seeing some Canadian female artists get to a certain level. I'd love to see a Canadian hip hop artist, a female hip hop artist uh, go big. Um, But the sky is the limit. And I'm excited for what the future will hold.
1: That is awesome. Um Justin I'm going to ask you a question cuz I know for everyone who's listening everybody on this panel knows each other been in the same space and as I take it Justin you're the you're the baby of the group um and so what I'm going to ask you is really just for your journey what have you learned both from Ebony and, and Jonathan I know that your crosses path your your paths crossed um in how you Coming into a little later with some of those tools that Ebony has mentioned that she hasn't had, um, how's it kind of made things easier for you? More challenging? Um, what's uh, what's your journey been like?
3: Um, you know, I think I think the tools that we have at our disposal that's always going to change. Um, you know, I came up at a time when social media just was starting to become a really powerful tool that a lot of independent promoters could use. I mean, I. You know, and Jonathan knows the story because I mean, I think he's heard a million times at this point. But, you know, I, I had I had a regular day job. You know, I had a regular day job and a career that um, you know, I put a I put my time in and I put on shows um not only for fun, but you know, I had a lot of friends who were in the arts and you know, it was a good creative outlet for myself. Um at that time. You know, using, you know, being savvy with Facebook, you being savvy with Twitter, um, you know, being able to harness just the collective power of of com- of you know, a community or scene, um was, you know, our way of postering. Um, you know, doing the VHS or CDs or, you know, that kind of that kind of promotion. Um, you know, I, I was lucky enough that out of I guess my generation, um I was able to convert that into a real career, um, but I think what doesn't change is you know having a good ear, um, you know being grounded in 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 where your place is within within the musical community. I mean, it one of the things I always knew from even early on was being promoters and being you know these purveyors of art. We are you know we're we're a canvas. You know, it's not necessarily about us right it's about you know an ex- it's about the artists it's about the fans it's about creating an experience um and i think no matter what era or or you know what what tools are at your disposal you know in the past or in the future um that aspect i think is going to hold true and consistent as time goes on
1: great um, Ebony, I have a question for you just around because you've done a lot of work. Um, you're clearly a community builder. Uh, the work you've done is incredibly important to really the fabric um, and I'd say the culture and infrastructure that the city has. It's really around members, mentorship and, you know, what you've done with FMFAT and how the role of mentorship and how important it is for um, specifically uh, female artists getting into the industry, trying to figure out what, what are the right questions? Who are the right people to go ask for those questions? Um, and as you kind of, as they to build on the role, what are some of, what are some of the important things that you try to really instill, whether it's honey jam or just um, any of the platforms that you're using? Um, you know, I, I'd say one, why have you chosen to kind of go down that path, but two, what are some of the pitfalls? Not, it's not pitfalls, but what are some of the guiding lights that are important for people as they get on that journey?
4: Those are a lot of questions, Thompson. (laughs) So um, we start with mentoring and the importance of that. I want to go back to the Each One Teach One mentor program that I started in the early 90s, which was for at-risk Black youth. And the whole idea of that was for Black kids to see themselves represented in places that they might want to be, which they might not see in their neighborhood and the power of just seeing that example. And so just if they wanted to be um, in business and taking them to the 54th floor of a tower on Kingman Bay Street in the financial district and seeing a black man sitting behind a desk in his own corner office with a view of the city, just the impact of that was immeasurable. And, um It's something that I love to see how they would be inspired and how their uh, focus um, would broaden. And so with Honey Jam, basically with everything I do, I am about that mentoring and showing the kids people who care about them. Um, And I remember taking some people to... New York uh, and taking them to the Essence Awards and giving them different experiences and they would say to me that they didn't understand why are these people willing to spend the time they don't even know who we are and they were really struck by that people seeing them as valuable to invest in so um, it's something that I I am very strong about providing Um, and so that was became a part of Honey Jam, not just the performance but meeting people who are experts in their field who wanted to help you for no other reason than that they care about you succeeding and giving you the opportunity to be in front of these people and pick their brains and help them, let them guide you, um, let, let you know what educational requirements you need, where you might be able to get an internship, maybe be able to shadow them in their office, um, et cetera. So, um, yeah, that's, that's how I feel about mentor.
1: Wonderful. Um, Jonathan, I'm going to come, come back to you. And, and, uh, one of the things I'm actually curious about is because you were a pioneer, um, uh, you probably hate hearing it like that. Um, but no one was really bringing, you know, hip hop, R&B, reggae, that those weren't really, you know, um, the, the I guess the most popular forms at the time were you occupying that space by yourself? Um, and if you were, what kind of gave you that, um, encouragement to say, Hey, this, this is, this is needed right now. And and this is something I can, I can do.
2: Um, I mean, it, it started out as a, as, as a, as a sort of a passion project, just, you know, like Justin mentioned, I had a day job, I had a career that didn't involve music. Uh, but just to touch on what you had said, there were, there were people, uh, that were there were promoters and bringing people to Toronto for performances before me I kind of I sort of stand on their shoulders one person specifically who I think most of you will be familiar with Ron Nelson who is you know I for him you know I think the 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 Godfather term in terms of this of the Toronto hip-hop or black music scene is 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 very appropriate he probably doesn't wear it like wearing it but for him like I came up going to Ron shows and I was just sort of in awe of of what he would do and around that time in my life i was looking for uh i was looking for something i don't know what i was looking for i was you know i worked for the uh for the provincial government i did sort of you know it was a nine to five office job it it was the job was great everything was great it just i wasn't passionate about it so i was sort of looking down the road thinking like can i do this for another 10 15 years i'd always sort of been music had been a big part of my life uh, not creatively, because I can't sing and I can't rap and I can't do any of that stuff. So. Uh, and I would go to Ron's shows. And around that time, Ron had sort of pivoted and changed direction. Um, and which, you know, he decided, I knew through mutual friends, he decided he didn't want to do hip-hop shows anymore. Uh, he's Jamaican. Uh, and he had started sort of dabbling more on the reggae side of it. So that left a sort of void in terms of consistent quality uh, performances in the city. And so I thought, you know what, let me just take a stab at it. I had no idea, you know, what I was doing, but I thought, you know, let me just, let me see. And, you know, I always tell people if I knew then what I know now, I probably wouldn't be doing this for a living, but it's, uh, there's a little bit of ignorance, a little bit of, you know, blissful ignorance that's got to be involved in anything you start. Um, but yeah, it just one show turned into two shows, turned into four shows, and at that point, I had to sort of make a decision whether, you know, I keep my day job or I do this for a living because they were they were both interfering with each other. I was either going to get fired from my day job because I was sending faxes to agents during the day from uh, the Ontario government office. But uh, or, you know, so that's really that was really kind of how how it evolved uh, for me. So it's I saw a void in the market. I saw something I could do that I was passionate about. And it was it wasn't, it was my save, It was my life savings, but it involved me spending a lot of money at the time and just, you know, gambling it. And, you know, it, uh, I didn't lose it all on my first show, thankfully. So I had made enough that I could put it into a second show and I didn't lose all of that. But I put it into a third show and then it just evolved. And before I knew it, it, it had become sort of a, you know, a, a career for me. So what was the first
1: show and what was that process like?
2: Um, it uh you know i i go back to what ebony said this is pre uh for a lot of people in this in this room it's kind of hard to understand but this is sort of pre-internet uh you know and i won't bore you with like my process and the, the specifics of the process but i just you know i was a big fan of music i used to be a dj in high school and i decided let me do a show with somebody whose music i love and i just started they started cold calling agents um at the time but uh my very first show was June 21st, 1993. Uh it was a, a rap group from LA uh, called The Farside uh, that had just put out a year before I put out their debut record. Um, and for me, that's not even the most significant part. It's uh, the the opening, opening act. There was an opening act of a band called Bass is Bass that was sort of this Canadian funk uh, trio at the time. But the opening act for them was this brown guy from Brampton named Russell Peters. So. Russell was the opening, opening act. And he did like a, he did a 15 minute set and he was a friend. I knew he loved hip hop and I thought, why not? Let's let me try something different. So that was sort of like my first, uh, my first show ever. And Russell DJs
1: as well. So I've uh, been to events where he's DJ.
2: Yeah. And he's like, Ru- Russell's like, you know, he's, he's a, he's a hip hop nerd. And that's really what drew me to him. He was a comedian, but he also could relate to that audience. Cause he was a fan of the music as well. So that was one of the reasons it wasn't just sort of like, let me find a comedian. I just, him and I were sort of, I knew each other. Uh, we had a lot of mutual friends. Um, and I was just like, Hey, you want to try this? He's like, sure, I'll try anything. And, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I won't tell you that what happened. I'll let, you know, but, uh, it didn't work. It wasn't that great fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh
1: Justin, what was your favorite sh- uh, first show?
3: Oh man. Well, hot tip. What happened is, is actually in, um, Russell Peters biography. So everyone caught that book. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's funny. It's, uh, you know, I had, I had a very similar story to, uh, you know, to what Jonathan had had mentioned. I, I, I was working in advertising, um, which in, uh, on the, on the account side, so not even on the creative side, not make any commercials, but just literally, um, uh, handling the, uh, the budgets that go into making commercials. So, and, and dealing and dealing with the, with the client. So, um, not, not the most fun advertising job you can think of, but, you know, I was quite young. I was, uh, just out of school or a few years out of school at that point, you know, um, I had progressed really quickly, um, at, at a few agencies. And I think at that time I was, you know, a middle senior guy, which was nice when, you know, you're paying off your university debts. Um but uh yeah, no, I I I, I wanted a creative outlet. I love I love music. I had a lot of friends who were in doing art you know in the art scene. Um I guess they were like, you're really good at organizing stuff. I'm like, yeah, I kinda, you know, do it for a living, unfortunately. <laughs> um so that's how actually I started doing shows. And one show became two shows, became four shows, became eight shows, uh became, you know, taking phone calls in the middle of the day in in the alley beside the agency I worked in, you know, whispering and, uh, and, you know, people walking by and starting to talk really quietly. And then people uh, asking, you know, what did you, what did you do on the weekend? I'm like, Oh, nothing. I just, you know, sat, sat at home, didn't do any of that. Didn't want to, didn't want to uh, expose myself uh, <laughs> to, you know, any, any people, you know, in, in that, in that culture, especially when, you know, people put in, 20 hours a day and you know, that's, and that's just kind of the culture sometimes when it comes to advertising. Um, but yeah, I mean, I got, I got, uh, I got found out because one of the activations, one of the activations I was working on, um, you know, one of the people working on it called my cell phone and asked if they can do an activation at one of my shows. So that went downhill really fast and I had to make a choice of what career I wanted to make, what what I wanted to do. But, um, now the funny thing is I I actually uh I I don't remember the the artists that that I booked my first show in. It was it was actually, you know, very uneventful. Um but what I do remember is, you know, when you start out, nobody has your back. You you gotta you gotta prove yourself. I I remember I called at least 20 venues, half of them didn't even have a PA. Um, you know, they weren't even I don't even know how safe those rooms were, um, uh, because a lot of them were dive bars. Um but I remember I didn't even get the main floor of a of venue. I'm not going to name which one it is. I don't, it doesn't really even exist anymore. Um, it gave me the basement. It literally, and they're like, you got to bring in your own PA. I'm like, are you guys going to pay for it? Like, no, <laughs> you got to pay for it. You got to bring in everything down yourself, but we'll give you the room. Um, and I remember um, there was a lineup around the block um, for the show. And it was just a local band. And, and, you know, and I, I don't, I don't think every, n- nothing really happened with, with kind of the the artists that were there. It wasn't far side, like, like John who are still touring by the way, I think. Um, but, uh, you know, I remember that there was like a, like a, like a dark metal band, <laughs> you know, people literally just dressed in all leather and with face paint in, and they're playing on, on the, on the top, on the, on the main floor. And there was like five people that were watching them. And there was a lineup around the block in this place that probably fit 60 people. I mean, you know, I, there must've been 80 in there, which is something I wouldn't do today, you know, on, on, off the record, maybe. (laughs) But, um, you know, I remember the, the owner of the bar meeting me afterwards. He was like, he's like, I'm sorry. So you get the first, you get the main floor every single time now. <laughs> and it's like, and, and, you know, and I'm like, do I, I'm, I'm so naive. And he's like, I'm like, do I have to bring my, do I have to bring my own speakers and like my own PA? He's like, no, they're literally up on the walls. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, that, that gave me, you know, that gave me a little, uh, like a, a taste of what, what, um, you know, promoting in its pure form was like, I think. You know, as as my career progressed, it, it, you know the business is is much different than what that was. I think you know the the that that spirit and that and that hustle uh, stays with you, and you know, and that kind of that excitement of putting something together from you know you conceptualize this idea from pretty much nothing um, is is still very exciting, but. Yeah, I think I think um, carrying gear down a flight of stairs, probably, (laughs) Um, you know, I think those days might be over. So,
1: yeah, my favorite shows are the ones I show up and uh, everything's there for me. Yeah. Uh, Green rooms there. You know, you, you just play, you know, you don't even have to turn on the keyboard. Uh, Abby, I've, I've got a question for you around uh, mentorship and clearly a lot of the stuff you've done is based around mentorship, seeing yourself in those positions, having people kind of sh- uh, show you along the path. So I'm curious about, you know, when you're putting on Hunjam or starting to put on your, your own events and different things like that, who are the people who supported you? Um, what is your advice for people who are looking for a mentor? How do they find one? Um, uh, and you know, how many should they have? Uh, but what are, what are the types of things that, uh, you really want to make sure that somebody's kind of looking out for you and you have a place to go ask some of these questions?
4: Okay. Before we get to that, um, I want to encourage everyone who's listening, um, to do the thing that you have a passion for doing. I think something that Jonathan, Justin, and myself all have in common is that that's what we have done and have been doing it for decades. And it's not something that I was told as a teenager. I was told to do the safe thing, the thing that you were going to get a good paycheck and good benefits, et cetera. And that's all fine and well. But if it doesn't feed your soul, you're going to feel a sense of emptiness. And so I had a good job as a legal assistant And I, too, was risking my job every day, wanting to make a photocopy. And someone would say, oh, what's this honey jam thing? And I would just hide under my desk (laughs) because I didn't want to lose my job. And It was very stressful. But I loved what I was doing, working with young people and working in entertainment. And so whatever it took, I was going to find a way to do it. And I tell people when you have a passion project, it means that you can't not do it. Right. Like it, like it's oxygen for you. And even though, as Jonathan said, like, um, like it might not even be the best thing in terms of your finances and your your mental health and, you know, just all the stress that's involved. Um, And yet you can't not do it. And so that's how I feel. So many people over the decades have been like, why are you still doing this honey jam thing? Like all, all of this. And. um. You know, you have to have that belief and life is short. I think the pandemic has taught us that as well, that, you know, that the life that you have, make the most out of it and do what you love. In terms of mentoring, for me at the very beginning, um, sexual harassment was a huge issue for me and for all women. And so that was a challenge for me because all of the mentors in the industry were men. And so you would say to someone, hey, I'd like to learn about something. And they'd say, oh, OK, um, why don't you come by the studio around midnight? And then, you know, <laughs> and everyone knows what that can turn into. So that was a challenge um, being respected. So if I would go somewhere with a male in the music industry just as a colleague, people would not see me in that way. They would think maybe I was a groupie or something like that. So that was very challenging. But I am a Leo by astrological sign. I'm a Black woman with attitude. And I was never going to be denied for what I wanted. I was never going to curl up in a corner and be like, oh, this is a little bit hard. So maybe I'll just go work. In a drugstore, right? It's like, this is what I wanted to do. So somehow, some way it was going to happen. Now, Mr. Jonathan is one, is and was one of my mentors. And one of the things, even though I complained to him about it, about his interactions with me, is that there's no coddling with Jonathan. <laughs> like, he is telling it to you straight up. and you know, warts and all. And if he doesn't think it's a good idea, he's not going to tell you that it's a good idea. It's like, that's trash, Ebony. That looks stupid. That flyer looks outdated. Why are you doing that? And, you know, he will share with you what his experiences are uh, because he wants to see you win. And that's not always something that you will find. And um, so you can find it, And you get the vibe from the person when you meet them. It's like either you're connecting in that way or you aren't. And some people might be a little bit shy and not feel comfortable to reach out to someone that they don't know. And sometimes they're going to say no, or they're not going to respond to you, or they're not going to make time for you. But for the things that you want in your life, you don't let anything stop you. You just keep trying. Uh, One of my biggest sponsors, I tried for seven years because it doesn't cost anything to try to send an email or to make a call. So you have to be persistent, you have to be committed, and you have to know what's expected in order, especially to be an entrepreneur and to carry something on your back where you're the first person there and the last person to leave and willing to pick up the garbage as well as be there in front of the cameras, right? So find your tribe, you know, find the people that care about you and you know, so if you're part of the Regent Park School of Music, then there's lots of people there, counselors, instructors, I'm not sure how it's set up that you can go to and ask them, you know, to help you find someone to pair you with someone.
1: So um yeah. I you know what that's it uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because uh while you're here Um, We get it from straight from the source. Can you just break down the honey jam for us? Because we do have, um, you know, students who potentially that could be something they could aspire to in the next year or two or next three or three or four years. Um, And just kind of the process um, they would go through if they wanted to be a part of something like this.
4: So uh, first you have to be female. This is uh, uh, an all female event. And if you check out our website, it explains um, why that's the case and how we started. Um, So we hold auditions um, and you have one minute. There's judges and you sing. It's all different cultures of people, by the way, and all different genres of music from hip hop to country, opera, R&B, rock, pop, reggae, everything. So you have one minute. And so you are selected for the program based on your audition. And the audition is really just about your talent. And then once you get chosen, you go through the program, which is vocal and performance coaching, songwriting camps, um, music industry workshops on management, publishing, et cetera, um, different performance opportunities prior to the concert, media training training. Um, being able to hear from established artists like uh, Jesse Reyes or Melanie Fiona. Um, So those are the types of experiences that are part of this kind of three-month window. Um, And then we have the concert at the end of it, and we invite people from the industry who might be able to help you in your career. And then that's basically the end of the three-month program. But being an alum of Honey Jam is a forever thing. So opportunities happen all through the year. At the beginning of 2020, which was our 25th anniversary year, uh, one of my bucket list dreams was to take an artist to the Grammys in Los Angeles. And I was able to do that before COVID. And the artist that I took is someone who did Honey Jam three years ago. You know, so we follow the artists through their entire careers. We promote what they do. Um, One of our artists, she was a rap artist called Stella Brown from 20 years ago. She is now known as Stella Maggie, a feature film director. She directed the photograph, and she's just been tapped to be the director of the official Whitney Houston biopic. She's going to be working with the legendary Clive Davis. And, you know, like I just feel like a proud mama bear. So if you look at our Instagram, we're always promoting what our artists are doing. Decades after um, they were
1: in Honey Jam. That was a great movie. Glasper did the music. I enjoyed it very much. So thanks so much. Uh, Jonathan, uh, Justin, just for a breakdown and to educate the students a little more, um, understanding the roles of a buyer or a promoter. What is the difference? What do they what's the space they occupy? What do you, how would you break down their roles to, to either or of you, either one of you? Justin, you want to take that?
3: Sure. I mean, um, I think uh, you know. I think for promoting, it's um, there. How do I put this? Promoting it's for me dealt with a lot of instincts. Dealt with a lot of you know um, your ability to to create excitement within you know maybe your group of friends within you know your your sphere your network of people. Right? How you did it was was part where the magic was right um i think when it comes with something like uh you know with buying the the instinct is still there right i I, you know i always say that um you know uh money doesn't buy you good taste and um you know you never see that any more true than in the world of buying and and kind of you know the the game that Jonathan and myself, and sometimes we go up against each other, you know, um, luckily we, we, most of the time we operate in different territories, but, you know, it's, it's very much relationship-based. You know, it's, it's your, it's your, um, it's your dealings with, with with an artist's agent, their management, you know, and the trust that you build with, with those individuals and with an agency, you know, something like WME, CAA, uh Wasserman and UTA are some of the biggest in the world. Not only do they deal with in music, they also deal in in, let's say, um and film and television as well. Um, you know, it's also um, you know, the aspects of math. Um when I'm looking for buyers uh and 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 recruiting them, I literally have to make sure that, you know, they have a they have an they understand, they understand and are very good, you know, in in in, in numbers. Um, a lot of it is is is, is assessing probability, a lot of it is assessing risk. You know, um I I always say that on in, in a lot of internal communications with with at at, at my company, uh, you know, MRG, MRG, Live that, you know, think of us as as managers of a mutual fund. We literally invest, you know, we, we invest dollars into, you know, these types of um events. And, 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 and these assets in order to generate a return, which is the, probably the most boring thing you could say when you're talking about, you know, putting shows on for, you know, like Rule, or, um, you know, I think, I think we had, you know, like Conan Gray or whatever, right? Like, I think, you know, we put on a festival with like Ben Staples, which is really cool. But when we're in, you know, we're, kind of, we're in there as a team, not only are we looking at the creative aspects you know we're breaking down the math we're breaking down what our risk is right there's a certain amount that we we know we're going to spend this is what we need to this is the probability of you know how many people are going to show up what that looks like in terms of um, you know revenue right and and those things are assessed alongside the art and i think that's the really big difference when it comes to you know the essence of a promoter and a buyer that you know, on a, buy, on, on that on from a buying level, it, it becomes very scientific. It becomes very mathematical. And, you know, a lot of it too, it's, it's, it's very much um, a business. So I think those, I think that's, you know, for me, at least that's the biggest difference. Awesome.
1: And uh, Jonathan, do you want to speak a bit more to sort of being a promoter uh, in, in that uh, line?
2: Yeah. I mean, and, and one thing I just, I thought about too, is, I think in the in the sort of pre-interview, the pre-conversations we've all had is sort of too sometimes being immersed in the industry, we take for granted that people understand how things work the way we do. Uh, but just for those who don't, uh a promoter basically is the person who puts on the concert that you go to. Uh they are the the hub of in a in a you know, so to speak, in that in that wheel where we it's, you know, we are the person that books the artist that then puts the tickets on sale, that markets the shows, that books the venue, that hires the team to operate, uh, you know, the show uh that takes the tickets when you walk in the door, not physically ourselves, but that, so we bring everything together. We pay the artist. Um, so if you take out of that, if out of that paradigm, if you take the promoter out, everything else sort of goes away. The artist doesn't get paid. They don't get booked. They don't, the show doesn't get produced. The venue doesn't get booked, things like that. So that's sort of, In in the you know in the in the the sort of universe of the music industry, the promoter is the person at the center of the concert industry. So, in every time you go to a concert, there is somebody or a team of people, most of the time, that put it all together. So, when Justin was talking about his experience on his first show, lugging gear up the stairs, it was probably just him, as it was for my first show. Um, Now, in terms of what we do, we have there's a large there's companies. There's there's teams of people, but within those companies that we call promoters, a company say like Live Nation, there are talent buyers, and those are the people that actually specifically book the shows. So I no longer need to, you know, make sure the person uh, gets on stage on time. I no longer need to make sure that they get through immigration properly. I no longer need to make sure that the ticketing is set up. I have a wonderful team that that does that for me. But it all starts as a talent buyer with myself booking that show right and again going to justin's point you know math the math not you don't have to be a math whiz but the numbers are everything because it's uh it's one of those things where you could have and I've, I've I've had this experience a ton of times you have the most wonderful show and you're feeling excited and everybody around you loves you and then you go back to the office and you do the numbers and you just realize oh my god i just lost ten thousand uh, dollars you know so it's, it's it's and you know and that's but it's, it's what Ebony said. It's the passion then that overcomes that and gets you to the next show. All right. So if it was, ju- if you were just doing it for the money, you'd never get to your next show. You'd just be like, what am I doing? And then you'd be out. So, uh, but that's kind of, yeah. I mean, that's hopefully people kind of understand where, where that fits in. And just so you know, when I started doing shows, touring and concerts were a a vehicle for which an artist could promote their music. Most of the artist's income was derived from record sales um, and not so much from concert tour. They, get, they would get paid for shows, but it wasn't that, uh, didn't make up that much of the pie. Fast forward to today, the touring business and concert income is the single biggest source of revenue for artists. It overshadows payouts from streaming, from sync, from uh, most of the time from publishing, and it's the first dollar. That most artists will see. Uh, So, if you're an aspiring artist, that is probably the most impactful part of your career. And and that the 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 and the money in this business, there's so many middlemen between you, the artist, and your fans. Uh, So, money travels through a bunch of hands. If you have a label, it goes through their hands or a publisher. The closest you'll ever get to your audience is on a stage at a show. There's there, there's no middleman, you get your message across. Um, you know, you don't have to wait six months, most of the time to get paid. So I think I always try to tell people that if you're an artist, your live show and your touring business is probably the most precious thing you will, you will own and think you'll have the most control
1: over. Awesome. I, I've definitely experienced that. I, I like to say the most honest relationship I have in my career is with my agent because at least when they do something, I see money. Um, but uh, <laughs> everyone else I'm just kind of like what's going on. <laughs> uh, we we have a little segment right now, which is sort of taking the learning further. But what I'll couple with that is really um, one again. Thanks for coming. Um, what haven't I asked you that you're like, you know what? He missed out on this. This is really important. Um, and along with that if you have any recommendations on books um, documentaries where should people kind of you know if they're interested kind of explore and really um, I know your paths have kind of come as almost like a side hustle and bloom, blossomed into what you're you're doing full-time but uh, I'd love to kind of just hear your thoughts from each of you along that I'll start with uh, ebony Let's start with you um
4: wow I could talk for hours and hours and hours what I'm thinking about about are the things that I was not told that. I wish I had been told. Um, and the things that I find are so important to me now to know. And in terms of how I conduct myself. And it may sound a little bit airy fairy, but just the idea of of loving yourself. And when you love yourself, and you don't allow certain things to happen to you, you are the captain of your ship. And and so. You decide how your life is going to be and whether it succeeds or fails, you have control over that. Um, I mentioned the uh, issue of sexual harassment. One of the things that I did is that if a man wanted to meet with me, I would meet in the morning or at lunch, (laughs) not in the evening. Like you can control those things. You don't have to be a victim. And so don't allow it to happen. Don't just allow life to happen to you. Take charge. Keep good people around you that you can trust and that support your dreams, but who are also very um, straight up with you. You Don't want to just have yes men around you. Learn. Always be willing to learn. Never be too arrogant to think that you know everything. I'm always learning every single day. and be inspired. Uh, look at whatever it is that you want to do. Look at someone who has succeeded where you would like to be and beyond. And if they've written a book, read it. If there's some sort of uh, place where they were honored and it takes you through their career, watch it. A lot of people who, that you think are bawling and that it happened overnight, it may have taken 30 years. Uh, I was watching on the Billboard Awards, Machine Gun Kelly got an award. And he said, I've been in this business for over 15 years. This is the first award I have ever received. And he said, if I had stopped at 12 years or however many years, he wouldn't have gotten the award. And he said, "Uh, suspend disbelief and invite in magic. And that, to me, encapsulates what it is to have a passion project and where you can't not do it is just invite in the magic and continue to believe in it. So I'm going to turn over to the guys and stop talking, but I can't wait to to be able to meet with you guys in person and have another one of these sessions.
1: Thanks Justin, I'll kick it off to you.
3: Oh, thank you. Um you know, I think I think, you know, for anyone who's thinking of going in this in this industry, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It is not the safe road to take. It is incredibly <laughs> difficult. You know, um there is there is something about growing growing up in, or growing old in, in, in the industry. It's actually very hard to do um, it takes It takes a lot of things where that type of focus and that drive it will test you probably the way you've never been tested before. Um, you know it might not be a big thing now in in your lives, but you know when you start getting to an age where You know, people start to accumulate, you know, possessions and they start to build careers. Um, You know, you start looking at what you make starting in the music industry and being here in the first few years. It's incredibly hard. Those things, you know, you start seeing your friends, your family. They start to doubt you, you know, not well, I mean... uh, it's good to have a nice family that will give you a a little bit of rope, but you know, um, especially coming from an immigrant family. <laughs> so, um, but you know, it, the, the, the ability to just really stay focused is, is important. And you have to, you know, again, it's, it's, it's cliche to say, say it these days, but you got to bet it on yourself, right? You got to bet that, that you, what you can, what you can bring to the table and what you can, Offer for the own type your own type of life that you want to live is is at reach even though you know it's you 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 feel like the deck is stacked against you and you know for for people who are you know minorities or people of color um you know people who are not you know I, I'm I'll keep it PG but you know this industry doesn't have a lot of diversity I'll you know that there's no especially on the industry side the industry side is is not a diverse you know it's not a diverse place. It is even harder if you're a person like if you're a person of color. Um, there are a lot of biases that that are attached to you know whatever they are that are attached to you um, you know those things you got to break through them. I, I remember you know someone said I couldn't, I couldn't book a festival because I was really good in math and I wasn't creative. What does that mean? <laughs> you know I'm like, "What am I supposed to be good at i'm I'm sorry that your the entire accounting department are made up of Asian people, and that's where you think I should be right and and that that will happen, and you know it it's it's probably no different than you know unfortunately, it's nothing different that I haven't encountered everything outside of music, so you know it's 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 important to to you know know who you are understand it's going to be difficult, but again, you know, music industry needs representation. It needs more people to be able to, you know, not only carry what the next generation is going to be like, but be able to, to put the things that are important to you, things that you care about, you know, things that, that, you know, your audience is going to care about. You know, it's funny. Jonathan actually hired me as my first job in the music industry. Um, so, you know, which is which is which is funny because there's actually very few executive level, you know, minorities in, in music. Um, I could probably count on, on on both my hands in Canada. And, you know, it's like not that I don't think Jonathan hired me because cause I was a minority, but I think Jonathan saw that he could he he you know, he was able to break through all the biases that other people had, because trust me, I I literally, you know, was looking for jobs in other places and didn't get it, you know. And he saw me for what my skill set was. And we need to create, you know, and, and I, I bring that to the table when I look at building my own team and, and making sure that representation is there. We need to expand on that. And hopefully the next generation is a lot better than mine and what, what we've done. Um, but, you know, it needs, you know, I think it needs to be put forth that the people here have to understand it's going to be really difficult, but. You know, you are making a difference. It does make things better. You do push art. You do push, you know, what's important to you. And, you know, that's that's going to be your what your lasting legacy is going to be if you do enter music, is that you actually want to change something.
1: Thanks, Justin. I, I appreciate that. Actually, it's funny you mentioned the accumulation of things. And I think about kind of my journey and now getting to a place where my peers are buying the houses and things like that. And I've been you know, on the creative side, I was like, ah, I guess I'm a bit of a late bloomer. Maybe I'll get there <laughs> at some point, but I appreciate that a lot. Uh, Jonathan, um, obviously asking you the same question, but I also would love for you to kind of just color uh, coming out of COVID, this live space and not even so much your predictions, but you know, I would say maybe some of the things of what do we need to rethink? What are the things that need to happen? Um, as we hopefully get back to, um, being able to go see our favorite artists, being able to, to ourselves as artists get back on stage, um, and where that's going. But the first piece first.
2: Well, I mean, I'll, I'll, i I want to touch on something that Justin said because it's when, when I hired Justin, it was, uh, you know, not because of his good looks and his penchant for math, but he came to me highly recommended by, by someone that I, that i whose whose opinion i value and that's that was what opened the door and that's really what happened and there wasn't much of a interviewing process there wasn't much of a thing and 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 i say that to sort of reiterate in the in any business but in this business especially your reputation is everything it is everything it it comes before you and it stays after you and that to me is you 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 protect it with your life and that means your word that means your, you know, your commitment, uh, you know, how you treat people, uh, you know, cause you don't know who's watching. And especially in, in, you know, now in this day and age, you don't know who will be watching eventually. Uh, you know, things will, you know, things never die on the internet. So, uh, but that, that's one thing it's in any business, but this one, especially this, this business is based on reputation. The, the, the show I told you, uh, Thompson that I booked with the far side. I I booked it off of an agent. I I had no idea. I knew eventually who she was. uh, But that very first show I booked with that agent, she is still to this day, one of the most powerful agents in the music business. And I still do business with her on a regular basis. So it's that is to me, I would tell you, you know, there's, there's books you can read. There's the internet, read on it, read everything. Um, And the business is hard. But if I tell people, if you love music, there's not a more rewarding industry to be in like you know the it's tough but the the, the highs are incredible right money aside you know it's a, and i tell a fun fact for me it's i didn't go to my first after party till 10 years into this business so all of that stuff that's around the business it's sort of you know it just for me it was just the the passion about doing shows so um you know, there again, like Ebony, it could go on, uh, in, in, so many anecdotes, but as far as where we go from now, I think the one thing, um uh, that this pandemic has illustrated as a, as it pertains to the industry is there is no replacement for live music, right? There is, there's replacements for, you know, for everything right now, right? This is a replacement for us doing a panel discussion in person. Um, uh, it maybe is not as good, but it, it, that's what it is there's a replacement from working in an office is working from home there's you know music you can get is becoming increasingly disposable in terms of recorded music and how people consume it and how fast they consume it but it's something that I think we in the business always knew but now I think the world knows that you know there there is nothing that replaces your favorite artist standing you know 10 feet in front of you on a stage belting out your favorite song so it's reinforced you know our belief in terms of the, the the value and it's created now what we we're we're hoping for and we all believe uh is a pent-up demand for this music so when the floodgates finally open and it's happening in the u.s already sadly it's not happening here yet but with festivals there's a bunch of festivals in the u.s uh you know rolling loud is one uh there's a bunch of them that these festivals are selling out in one day they're selling 30, 40, 50,000 tickets in a single day, simply because people are like, wow, I want to go out. I want to be around people. I want to be able to share the passion for music with these other people. Um, you know, sometimes I always, you know, I'll spend a lot of my time during a show backstage in the production office or somewhere where I don't, I'm not around people. Cause at some point you're like too many people. Uh, I've learned I'll never complain about that again, being in a crowded room i I, I want to be shoulder to shoulder with people that know the same lyrics that I know that you know that trade you know, like other music nerds, you know things like that so it's uh I think that's really a valuable thing and what they're predicting and it's kind of borne out so far in terms of ticket sales for tours for you know that are happening later this year, but in 2022 I think uh when the weekend put his uh tour on sale that he goes on tour, I think January of next year. Uh, but a month ago, he put his tour on sale and the whole thing sold out in days. We're talking a global tour in arenas all over the world. Um, and that just illustrates the pent up demand and what people see in terms of the value of music. Right. And then that feeds back if you're an artist to what I was saying about, you know, your single biggest source of revenue will be, you know, will be your live show
1: that's uh that's really great i'm going to be putting that on my instagram as soon as i'm as soon as this is done no replacement for live music it's right re- it's actually really giving me a great um a newfound appreciation for the audience and my audience and all the things that you take for granted and you know as an artist who are we without our audience and uh so you know i i yeah, that resonated with me so much um, at this time. I want to open up the floor to some questions from a representative from the RPSM Youth Committee uh, for those who are unfamiliar with the youth committee. The committee is a, a youth wide um, group of young leaders, high school aged. They meet virtually every week at this time, Thursdays at seven to eight to engage in social activities and discussions as you know, educational workshops like this one and leadership and development. If you're looking for some information, or interested in signing up or signing your child up, feel free to email Jasper at studentdevelopment at rpmusic.org and we'll put that email in the chat. I'd like to call on Galila uh, to unmute and ask the first question to get this started. Oh sorry.
5: Sorry, I had a like a cover on my camera. Um my first question is how much education was involved in getting into
2: the field that you're in, like,
3: what education like, did you need for anything like I mean, I'll, I, I'll, I'll, I'll start because I'm, I'll, the funny thing is the answer is probably zero. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh, I went to school for, um, business and mm-hmm. marketing and economics. Um, I, and any part of my career, never used economics until I actually started doing, uh, shows and more later into my career. Um, and how, and how that works when you're, you know, dealing with a lot of, you know, a lot of artists, a lot of shows, a lot of investments and, and, you know, in turn a lot of money. Um, but I think the best education that you can probably get from, uh, you know, starting in this, and especially in the, in the live side or promoting side is, you know, is actually going and doing it, learning from your mistakes. Uh, you know, I, I always, I always make the joke that you know, there's a there's a difference between promoters that are built up in a in a in a system like in a large company, and ones who went out there and did it themselves. Um, you know, the people who did it themselves, and you know, who independently know what it's like to run to a cash machine in the middle of the night and empty their savings. <laughs> That type of education and that type of feeling and how that changes your perspective even when you're dealing with you know I'm not going to put it out there like in terms of the actual amount but let's just say like I deal with you know close to <laughs> nine figures you know a year in in terms of investments um and in terms of things that are going in and out of you know the company I work for and, and, and what our bank accounts are you know the that that type of what you learn from putting in your own money and, and winning and losing from that and how that changes, even when you're, you know, you're working on, on a large scale, it, it stays with you. It never, it never goes away. Um, you know, and for me, it's like, yeah, if, if I didn't go to school, would I still be doing this job? I probably would be. But, you know, you take bits and pieces of where you learn no matter where they are and, you know, it helps you form, you know, not only what you what, how you approach the business, um, and how you approach art, but it also, you know, you put a lot of yourself into, you know, how you how you do that work. You know, a lot ta- a lot of times there's people who can't who don't understand, you know, they can't stomach risk, they can't stomach uncertainty. This is a bad industry for that, right? You need to be able to deal with the unknown. It happened, you know, because a lot of times you you don't know what the future holds, right? But um, yeah, I mean it's, it's always great to have a, uh, an education because there's a, a ton of things that you can learn from, that you can you can absorb and learn from, but the best experience is actually going out and doing it.
2: Yeah, and, yeah, I just quickly add, there are, I mean, it depends. When I started, there were no music education programs. Uh, you know, fortunately now, I think every uh, post-secondary institution offers some sort of music education programs, and then there are some uh, that are dedicated specifically to that, specifically to that. Uh, you know, most of it's available on the internet, but I would tell people to sort of go and educated for me, it, you know, I, I probably spent uh, a lot of money, time and, and effort, uh, learning things the hard way. Uh, but it's really about understanding, sort of, you know, how, how it all works. But there are very few barriers to entry into the music industry. You know, it's not like, you know, if you're practicing law, you're for a bar exam, if you're, doing medicine, you have to do, you know, seven years of school, Um, but it's all, that's a good and a bad thing, right? So it means anybody can get in the industry and you meet a lot of people that shouldn't be in this industry, but at the same time, it means that you from your basement, your bedroom, your home can leapfrog into this industry really quickly. There are artists, especially through COVID, there are artists that this time last year, were recording songs in their bedroom and now are charting on billboard and doing award shows and you know are slated to sell out their tours in 2022 so you know it it can it depends on your thing but there is no easy there is no easy fix right there is no like you know i want to be an artist i'm going to record some stuff i'm going to upload it to soundcloud uh and then you know i'm just going to wait for uh the money to pour in or the likes it's a hard road and there's a lot of false starts, but uh, yeah, I mean, in on the back end of it, as far as the industry itself, I'd encourage, you know, anybody who wants to do it for a living to, to research some things and see school is not for everyone. And it doesn't mean you can't just like Justin said, it doesn't mean you can't do it if you don't have a formal education in the music industry, but it is there and it's available. And I would encourage people to at least, you know, at least explore that.
4: I am an English major. I Didn't have any formal education for any of the things that I now do. Um, I'm a graduate of the School of Hard Knocks. And uh, what I would encourage everyone to do is to intern somewhere. It depends on what your interest is in the industry. Are you an artist? Do you want to be a producer? Do you want to be a manager? So a lot of it depends on that in terms of what advice we would give you on what to do. So you would just do your research, find someone who is in that position and pick their brain and ask them about the types of things. But no matter what you want to do. So even if you want to be an artist, I would encourage artists to understand what a promoter does, to understand what someone who programs uh, songs for radio does. Like every single aspect of your business, you should have a curiosity about and try to get some knowledge so that you understand the big picture. There's no downside to knowing as much as you can. So there's lots of free stuff on the internet. There are music schools like Harris and Trevis. There are online courses. There are conferences you can go to like North by Northeast and um, Canadian Music Week and all of these different things, which are also great to network with people from all different areas of the industry. Uh, We do um, something called a mentor cafe, which is kind of like speed dating, where we have about 20 different people who act as mentors and you kind of play musical chairs. So you're sitting across from an entertainment lawyer and you get to pick their brain for 10 minutes and then boop. You go to the next one and you're sitting across from Jonathan and then you're sitting across from Julie Black. And uh, it's something that the artists love and that the mentors really love. It's so energizing to um, be able to share and to be able to receive all of that knowledge. So um, that's what I would advise.
1: it been amazing. Thanks, Galila. Thanks for uh, asking, starting off our QA A with that question. Uh, are there any other questions from the audience for our panelists? Either put them in the chat or you can um, also jump in.
5: I'll read one. But first, I want to shout out Honey Jam. I think I auditioned for it like 10 years ago and everyone just like do it for the audition experience. Anything you can do. Like it was such a good time. And I like still have friends from it. Um, Okay. This is for you, Ebony, in regards to doing your passion. What if you're not sure what your passion is, or if you have more than one passion, how do you still follow your passion? So quite a few questions in there, but yeah. So it will,
4: it will find you like it will find you. Um, I, I don't know what else to say, it will choose you, you know, like you'll just find yourself being drawn to different things. Um. So in when I was in uh, high school, I thought that I wanted to be a teacher and but teaching has become a part of everything that I do. And the idea of mentorship and educating others. I just don't have a teaching certificate and I'm not inside of a. Uh, you know, a school doing it. Um, But I just knew that that was something that I wanted to do. And I wanted to work with other people. And I always wanted to um, do things in the community. I was always an activist from when I was 11 years old, when I discovered Malcolm X. Um, I don't even remember the sequence of events where that happened, but it just resonated with me. And um, it lit a fire within me. So I didn't go looking for it. And then along the journey with all the things that you have to do as an entrepreneur, you find skills that you didn't even know you had because you're forced to do them. And then it's like, wow, I can actually do this thing that you didn't even know that you could. So I think you'll, you'll find it. You'll know yourself you'll know the things that you love to do. You might love to cook, you might love to do sports. You know, you might love certain elements of music. I think if you just,
5: I think it will it will hit you. Forgot to shout out that question was from Akeem. So hopefully that helped you Akeem. Hey Akeem. <laughs> yeah, that's it Thompson.
1: Thanks Charlotte. Uh, do we, we have time for one more question before we move on to our director. Mr. Richard, but we're not ready for you yet as long. As see if there's one in the chat. Does there anyone else have a question going once?
5: That Go was ahead. it for questions, but I'll ask one. Um, are there any artists you're dying to see out there once we can be out uh, it, with experiencing live music with each other?
4: Okay, I mean, this is going to be very quick. I said to everyone, once things open up, I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's accordion music. I am going, I'm staying all night. I'm dancing. <laughs> I'm wearing whatever skirts they wear and I'm gonna be happy about it. So that's my answer.
2: <laughs> Ebony, you realize this is being recorded, right? <laughs> oh no. The part where you say I'm going and staying all night. <laughs> I might just I I, I might just screenshot. That part of the video and play it for your friends.
5: Okay, that's fun.
4: <laughs> I have a question. Just seeing Jonathan. Hi, um, it's Tara. Um, I actually work um, in live entertainment with MLSC. And I wanted to ask um, Jonathan or Justin, if you guys have any sh- upcoming shows that um, are looking to book or want to book before, like, as soon as shows
3: can happen again. Um, I, I I book out of the U.S., as, uh, um, as well, um, as in Canada. Um, let's just put it this way. There are going to be a lot of shows in parts of California and, um, and, uh, in the Pacific Northwest, um, as soon as August, September. And, and that's without restrictions. Um, we have an office in Miami. There's a guy out there that does a lot of electronic shows. Um, they're already living in the future. I think they were living in the future two and a half months ago, but, um, yeah, I, I think, um, with regards to anything on an arena level or things that are more concrete in, in, in Toronto, or, I mean, there's a lot of, um, there's a high probability for shows to come back in, in October and November, um, for anything on a larger scale we're we're looking into next year. So I would say, um, spring next year is probably the most realistic if we're looking at uh things on a larger a larger scale. I'm, I maybe Jonathan has has something has something cooking. I don't I don't know.
2: <laughs> I mean I am just I'm excited because it's 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 there is a there's a ton of artists. I probably won't see all of them and I don't know how long that 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 energy is going to last for me where I want to go out every night and see shows before I'm like okay I'm good. Uh but it's really what the one part I'm looking at what always sort of charged me up at shows and this goes back to my very first show was i get a lot of satisfaction out of watching people at shows uh and not in a creepy way but more in the more in the kind of like uh i remember my very 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 first show at that far side show i was standing at the back i was kind of exhausted it was halfway through the show and my girlfriend at the time was standing beside me and i was kind of like just looked she i looked a little drained but she just looked at me and we were at the back of the room and there were like 500 people in front of us. And she's like, you did that. And to me, that was part of it. It was like watching that energy that I was a small part of bringing that together. So whether it's like, you know, 15 year olds or 16 year olds or 25 year olds, but it's like, you're putting those people together. And then the satisfaction that will come eventually from, uh, you know, those artists that maybe sometimes took, fans for granted and no longer, right? That they will come off the stage and they will just, you know, the, it's those, it's those artists that, you know, you have to actually like pull them off the stage. You're like, you can't do seven encores. You know, people have to go home. <laughs> you know, that It's that kind of thing. I think, I think artists will appreciate, I have a whole new appreciation for fans, but that's really what I'm looking for. There's a lot, there are, there are a lot of shows. There's a lot of new music where, for artists that broke during COVID that will tour. And these guys have never done shows in their life. All they've done is, you know, record music out of their bedroom, uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing that kind of stuff. So you're, you're probably in the next couple of weeks. You're just going to start seeing tons of of you know of of shows uh, just happen. I think that, and but it's really for me, the energy of the people
1: that are going there. amazing. Thanks so much. Uh, thanks uh, for the question, Tara. Uh, and now we actually have Richard Marcella, director of the music school, to make some announcements.
0: Thank you, Thompson. Uh, you're running this thing like clockwork. Really appreciate uh, all that you do. And I want to thank our incredible panelists for sharing their wisdom tonight. I'm just blown away. I know all of our listeners really appreciate um, all of your experience and uh, and everything that you've shared tonight. So very inspiring. Thank you so much for making time for, for our talks and all my colleagues at the school um, for organizing this uh, monthly series. Really appreciate it couple of quick announcements um rpsm parents we had a parent meeting scheduled next week it's going to be bumped to the 10th of of june so look out for that email we're going to give that to you uh soon but it's seven o'clock on june 10th we hope to see you there and our end of year recital is uh we've gotten such an overwhelming response of our students that want to participate that we've had to actually break it up into two. So it's going to be one at 11 a.m. and one at 2 p.m. on Saturday, June the 19th. So everybody's invited. Follow us on social media and we'll give links to it. But it's on Saturday, June 19th. We hope that you'll come and hang out with us, cheer on our students. It's a great way to end the year to uh, cheer on our students and our faculty. So. Uh, that's it for me. Thank you so much. And I'm back to you, Thompson. Thanks.
1: Wonderful. Uh, so we just want to give a big thank you again to our panelists. Uh, we enjoyed your insights and, uh, it was, this was, this was a lot of fun. Um, Lucas has put up all the media handles in the, in the comment section. So you can look for them there. Uh, as always, this will be up at some point in time when Jasper edits it and makes it beautiful. And cuts out all the popping and whatever. Uh, thank you to Lucas, Simone and Charlotte from the youth committee for helping support this event. A big thank you to Stephanie Purificati and Jasper Gahunya for bringing the series to life. Um, always bringing us wonderful people and we love your, uh, just your reach in the industry and, uh, clearly people like you. Uh, still not sure what, but uh, sorry. Um, clearly you've got a great, uh, network going on. <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> thanks to, uh, Uh, Devin, good food for the discounts and food deal uh, that they provide for our online events. Uh, Please check out our YouTube channel, uh, as well as every little voice podcast for the past RPSM recordings. Uh, Make sure you uh, RSVP for the next one happening. I am Thompson Egg and this concludes the fourth installment of RPSM Talks. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much, everyone, for uh, being a part of this today.
0: Thank you for supporting the Every Little Voice podcast. Please subscribe and share it with your friends and colleagues. I'm Richard Marcella from the Regent Park School of Music. Where to learn more, visit rpmusic.org. Thank you for your support. Be safe, and we'll see you again next time.